So, hermeneutics. <clears throat> this is not going to be a regular kind of Bible study. We will be looking at scriptures as we go along, but it's not going to uh, be a traditional Bible study. We have no ending date for this series, but we still have a lot of material to cover. <laughs> so uh, I hope we brought, you brought your track shoes because <laughs> we're going to hit the ground running. So uh, here we go. Due to the incredulously circumambient tendencies of ultralapsarianism, <laughs> sorry, wrong notes, wrong notes. <laughs> Well, that was a kind of an illustration of why hermeneutics is necessary. Now, how many of you understood what I said, or even heard it, for that matter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of made up that statement. It doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> Just a bunch of familiar sounds. <clears throat> But the point is, if you're going to understand what somebody means, you're going to have to take it apart. You're going to have to do some critical thinking. And critical doesn't mean negative, it means to be careful. I have a, um, a lecture or two on critical thinking, which we won't take time to go through. Um, but critical thinking is essential for anything you do, and it's going to be particularly essential for hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, again, means the interpretation. Um, I have a lot of things going around here, so... <laughs> hey, Terry, what, where did the uh, word hermeneutics come from? Uh, it's from the word hermeneutics. <laughs> <laughs> The Greek word sounds like the English word. <laughs> Hermenuo is, is the Greek word. And it, it means to clarify, to explain, to come out. Okay. Can you trace back to the Greek god Hermes? I'm not aware of that. It's possible. Yeah, I, I think his function was to, to translate. He was the messenger of the gods. So that's very possible. I hadn't, hadn't seen that connection. Very possible. <clears throat> Um, years ago at work, when I was still working, I had an interesting conversation with a co-worker who was an Arab. He was rather a rather devout Muslim. And I forget exactly the point we were talking about, but some scripture came up and, and I gave him an explanation of the scripture, which is what the scripture says. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, well, that's just interpretation. And I said, no, it's correct interpretation. And he kind of looked at me like, how can you put correct and interpretation in the same sentence? To him, interpretation meant just, well, that's the way you see it. But interpretation is not just opinion. <laughs> interpretation is a result of going through a process to find the meaning in something. 
opinions are worthless unless they're based on facts. <laughs> Reminds me of a movie, W.C. Fields movie. A bunch of people gathered together to look at this new invention and the reporters were there and they asked one of the experts, you know, what's your opinion of this, of this machine? And he said, absolutely worthless. The guy says, the machine? He says, no, my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Opinions don't mean anything until you look at the facts. So I wanted to uh, start tonight. I have a, a PowerPoint that we will be going through. Uh, we may not get to it tonight. We may. We'll see. I wanted to start by going over some resources that you might, might find handy in um, hermeneutics. Helps. Study helps. Things like that. So I have a handout here. <clears throat> This gives you a list I kind of categorized. There should be enough. I categorized these resources to uh, help you focus on the different aspects. And I want to go through this list. It's, it's three pages and something of resources. <laughs> three and a half pages. Um, I don't have all of these books. <laughs> okay. I haven't read all of these books. I've read quite a few of them, skimmed here and there, okay. Uh, you will find that some of these books work better for you than others do, okay. But this will give you an idea, and, and these are not the only ones, you know, I kind of picked and chose, okay. Uh, but these seem to me, what I know of them, to be the, uh, the ones that would be most helpful, okay. So let's go ahead and go through this. I was thinking of writing an annotated bibliography, but that would take up too much paper. So I'm going to do the annotations verbally. <laughs> you can write notes if you want to. Okay. Um, the first book there, well, the first category is Principles of Hermeneutics. These books all talk about what hermeneutics is all about. Okay, and they take you through the process. The first book there is this little one by John Beck called Know Your Bible. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. It's a superb book, and it's out of print. <laughs> However, it is available on Amazon. It'll cost you an arm and a leg. I, I got my copy years ago through Christian Book Distributors for about three bucks. Um, they still have it, as an ebook, so you could download it from them onto your computer for three bucks. <laughs> but Amazon has it for a little more, like five, six bucks plus shipping and handling. So and they do have used copies for less than that. But if you can all at all get get one of these, get one of these. It's very good at taking you through the basics, what hermeneutics is all about, and with examples from Scripture showing you how the different aspects of hermeneutics apply. It's, I mean, he does a lot <laughs> for this little book. You know, it's, it's superb. You can't, you can't uh, do without it if you're going to do hermeneutics. So, Terry, this is a typo because on the sheet it says, Know Your Bible, and that one says, Understand Your Bible. I'm sorry, you're right. It's understand and not know. Wow. Know Your Bible is another book. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's another book. It's a different topic. Okay. I'm sorry, you're right. <coughs> Thank you for catching that. Is that so, the same author? Yeah, yeah. 
And I think the one, the, the author for Know Your Bible is not John Beck. It's <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> so understand your Bible. That's what hermeneutics is all about, understanding. Okay. <clears throat> uh, the second one is uh, by Robert Plummer called 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible. He goes through specific issues that people have difficulty with in understanding Scripture. And it's, it's kind of like the, the main things you need to focus on if you're going to understand Scripture. <clears throat> Bernard Ram, Principles of Protestant Biblical Interpretation, is a standard textbook. It's not a huge book, but you could hurt somebody with it. Um, but it's kind of like the classic, all right? Uh, one by Tan, I forget his first name, it's called The Interpretation of Prophecy, and by prophecy he means all of Scripture, because it's all a proclamation of God. This is the book I used when I was in seminary. Uh, very good. And then this one's great, uh, Richard Schultz, called Out of Context, How to Avoid Misinterpreting the Bible. This is a book that any student of the Word should read at least once a year. It shows you how to keep things in context <laughs> so you get the right understanding. Now, it's, an, it's an excellent book. And then finally, uh, one by Roy Zuck, Basic Bible Interpretation. That's another good one. Uh, it's very simple, very straightforward, very easy to read. Uh, he makes this, the, the um, principles very clear. By the way, that, that was my hermeneutics textbook. Was it? Um, the second category there, reason for hermeneutics, you might think, well, why do we have to bother with hermeneutics? Well, these two books will show you why. <laughs> the first one there called Abusing Scripture, The Consequences of Misreading the Bible. It, the, he goes into examples of how people misinterpret Scripture and the negative consequences of that. And then the next one by James Sire, Scripture Twisting, 20 Ways the Cults Misread the Bible. Um, that's why they become cults, because they don't interpret Scripture correctly. Okay. And so that's, you know, it shows you 20 problems, <laughs> 20 ways that the cults misinterpret Scripture, and that's why they, you know, get into trouble. And then, if you're going to understand Scripture, you have to understand the historical and cultural context. So there are a lot of books here dealing with um, those issues. Um, the first one by Philip Comfort, The Origin of the Bible, talks about the, the, the circumstances that led to the production of the Bible, the, the translations and all of that stuff. It gives you an idea of how Scripture came to be, and that helps you put things into place. Um, William Barclay, have to be careful with this one, uh, the Daily Bible Study Guy. He's, he's a liberal, so his theology is off the wall, <laughs> okay. but he's a great historian. <laughs> so if you use Barclay's book, you do use it for history, you don't use it for theology. And then Alfred Edersheim, he wrote several here, um, Old Testament Bible History, Sketches of Jewish Social Life, Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, History of the Jewish Nation. If you want to know anything about the context in which the Bible was written, those books will tell you. 
Can I add to that? Um, I know some of you have the MacArthur Study Bible. Um, MacArthur recommends Edersheim. Um, that's like his first recommendation if you want to know backgrounds of, of Jewish life and understand kind of the cultural background, especially in the New Testament, um, and, and really how, how Ju Judaism was practiced um, in between the Old and the New Testaments. Right. Yeah, he's a standard text. Uh, then, uh, this is an excellent book by uh, Craig Evans and uh, David Mishkin. Actually, they're the editors. A Handbook on the Jewish Roots of the Christian Faith. I'm right in the middle of reading this book. Excellent book. They show you how the Jewish perspective <laughs> on Scripture influenced the development of Christianity. And it's written by Jews, Jewish Christians. So they, they're, you know, in both camps. You know, they really know what they're talking about. The chapters are short, four or five pages, and the writing is just crystal clear. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> they basic, the, the chapters are basically summaries of the point, like Christ and the sacrifices, you know. It's just a summary, but they list all the verses. You can make a really in-depth Bible study if you looked them all up as you read, read this book. You know. Or you can just get the overview, but, but it's a superb book. Uh, the next one, Backgrounds of Early Christianity. I haven't read that one, but uh, that's the kind of thing you need if you're going to interpret, especially the New Testament, uh, what happened in the, the New Testament days. The next one's good, a translation by Paul Mayer of Eusebius, the church history. Um, Eusebius lived in the 300s, 4th century, and uh, he wrote the history of Christianity. He went way back into New Testament <laughs> times and fills in a lot of background. You know, tells you all about the Herods and why they were such terrible, <laughs> terrible guys. The whole family and the, and the emperors and, and uh, the deaths of the, of the disciples. It, it's just an incredible resource for historical background. Uh, George Smith, the, the Historical Geography of the Holy Land. Uh, geography and topography are important um, because it, it, well, we have a map, <laughs> several maps there, you know. Um, and if your Bible has maps, use them. You know, when you're reading the Old Testament especially and it gives you all these place names, look them up on the map because the topography makes a difference. For example, you have the, 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 the account of David and Goliath. The Philistines were going to attack Jerusalem, and Saul and his army come down to stop them, and uh, then David and Goliath face off. Well, you don't get the whole picture, and it says they were in the valley of, what, Elah or something like that. Um, it, you can't see it very well on that map. <laughs> Just west of the of the Dead Sea, there is Jerusalem, and it's on a, a mountain range that runs north and south. The Philistines lived by the coast, especially down there in Gaza, the Gaza Strip, which is almost dead <coughs> west of Jerusalem, a little southwest. Between the coast and the mountain range where Jerusalem is, is a series of valleys running east and west. So the natural way for someone approaching Jerusalem from the west would be to go up one of those valleys. 
is easiest, you know, because it's just a pathway. Of course, it's dangerous because your enemy can get on the mountains outside of the outside of the valley and throw rocks at you or whatever. But understanding the how things happen, how things moved around, helps you get a picture of of what's going on. Helps you understand the text better. <clears throat> uh, the next one by Winston: the complete works of Flavius Josephus a Jew who was a historian writing in the first century, New Testament times. He was working for the Romans, um, but he, he, he has several books that are all included in this one, The History of the Jews, The Jewish Wars, um, Antiquities of the Jews, I think is better than History of the Jews, Antiquities of the Jews. But if you want to know Jewish context in the New Testament times, that's a great source. On the back of that, Consistency of Scripture, a book by William Graham Scroggie, The Unfolding Drama of Redemption. That's a thick book. <laughs> he did all the study that you would like to do if you had the time. But he traces the theme of redemption from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's just, it's a superb book. Um, it shows the consistency of Scripture, and that's essential in hermeneutics because one of the points of hermeneutics is there is one focus <laughs> for all of the Bible. Okay, and he does a good job of, of showing that consistency. I put in some books there on theology. You have to be careful <laughs> with theology books. Um, the theology can be accurate or inaccurate, depending on the person who's writing the book and their theological point of view. Uh, so these are some common ones. Boyce, James Boyce, Foundations of the Christian Faith is a classic. Lewis Berry Chafer, who was instrumental, if I remember correctly, in, in founding Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, he's one of the classics. Four volumes, that's a lot. I mean, he covers theology in detail. Uh, Norman Geisler, he's more known for um, apologetics, okay? But he does a good job in, in uh, systematic theology. One volume. Wayne Grudem as systematic theology. Notice this title. <laughs> All these books, it's systematic theology because that's what it is. Charles Hodge, another classic from the early uh, 1900s. Um, he was one of those who was instrumental in, in, in coming out of the, um, the wave of liberalism that infected the, the church in America. You have to be careful. He's Presbyterian. Most of the time his theology is, is reliable, but Presbyterians tend to be reformed or Calvinistic in their, in their theology, and uh, we probably wouldn't agree with everything that they, uh, that they say. And then Charles Ryrie, more modern, um, basic theology, he would be more conservative. So you have uh, choices, there. and again, th this is just a sampling. There are hundreds of books on systematic theology, and we'll talk about why systematic theology is, is important later on. 
Then some handbooks. Handbooks are good for helping you understand background stuff. Okay. Uh, Philip Comfort again, Essential Guide to Bible Versions. If you want to know the difference between King James and New King James and New American Standard and ESV and Revised Standard and all of that stuff, he can help you understand those differences. Then there's Halley, Halley's Handbook. That's a classic. It's been around forever. Um, again, these the handbooks deal with historical issues and, and stuff like that, incidents, events. Then Nelson's Complete Book of Bible Maps and Charts. Excellent little book. It goes book by book through the Bible and outlines the book. It gives you a synopsis, a summary. It shows you a map of where the events are happening, especially in the Old Testament. You know, all this stuff is going on. Excellent little book. And if you're teaching a Sunday school class, you can make copies <laughs> of those charts and maps. As long as you don't go over a thousand pages. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright issues, you know. Uh, Leland Riken, The Complete Handbook of Literary Forms in the Bible. Uh, literary forms like, uh, well, narratives, apocalyptic writing and stuff like that. It's, it's, I have the book. I haven't gotten far into it. Okay? But he got does a good job of showing you how all those things are written and, and how they're structured and how to go about understanding them. Uh, the next one, I don't know who the author is, The Complete Book of When and Where. Uh, again, Bible people, Bible events, Bible times, things like that. Uh, then the next one by Wilson and Taylor, Tyndall. Tyndale, if you prefer, a handbook of Bible charts and maps. Another source for that. And Wilmington's Bible handbook. This is a kind of a thick one. It's a big book. But he covers a lot of those handbook issues. On uh, the next page, dictionaries and encyclopedias. Bible dictionaries don't give you simply words. Okay, They're kind of like handbooks. They, they expand on different things. And you can sometimes do a topical study from a dictionary. So William Smith, Smith's Bible Dictionary. Uh, then you have the Tyndale Bible Dictionary. Encyclopedia of Bible Facts. That would be interesting. Like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Um, and the last one, the Dictionary of Bible Types. People get all mixed up with types. <laughs> People sometimes take typology to an extreme. And I put in a section here on commentaries. Uh, I, I tend to stay away from commentaries. <clears throat> my own experience, you may have different experience. My own experience with commentaries is they don't do you a lot of good. <laughs> Why is it? that you would consult a commentary. Okay. Why? Why do you, a better understanding of what? Okay. Usually you you consult a commentary because you're reading in the Bible and you come upon a verse or a passage that is confusing. 
So you want some clarification. So you go to the commentary. And guess what? They skip it. <laughs> because they didn't understand it either. <laughs> No, you can't find it. So I, I put these commentaries in here simply because commentaries can be helpful, and we'll talk more about that later on when we get, when we get into the PowerPoint. Um, but you have to be careful. Okay. Uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown is a, a standard. It's an older one. Um, I found parts, you know, things they say that I don't quite agree with. Uh, the next one, the Expositor's Greek New Testament, five volumes. This is this is good if you want to to look at it from the language position, language angle. You have to know Greek <laughs> to do this, or at least you have to have some familiarity with it. One thing I found frustrating is that <clears throat> they'll say, you know, this is like. Peter says, and then they'll quote a paragraph from First Peter in Greek. <laughs> and if you don't know Greek, you know, okay. <laughs> and they do the same thing in Latin. You know, they'll refer to what someone else has said about this and it, in Latin or in German. This, these articles on the different books in this set were written in the 1800s. Okay. Great scholars, they really knew what they were talking about. Uh, and they knew like 20 languages. <laughs> and they, they assume that you know those languages as well. So it's not an easy book to get through. Okay? But if you want to know the, the, the angle of the Greek on that, on the New Testament, that's, that's a good source. I've also found that I don't agree with everything they say either. Um, then one by Lawrence Richards, Bible Reader's Companion, this one is, is um, maybe helpful, maybe not, depending on what you're doing. He starts out with kind of an outline of the text. It goes kind of paragraph by paragraph through a book, or chapter by chapter, I guess it is. And he gives you a summary, an outline of the chapter, and then he'll talk about keywords, main idea, and things like that. And then the rest of it, when he gets down to the verse-by-verse verse level, it's just application. It's not analysis. It's not saying this means this, this means that. He, this tells us that. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I, really? <laughs> I mean, you haven't laid any foundation for that. That's, that's a lot like uh, Matthew Henry's commentary, which you may be familiar with. The original was six volumes. They've narrowed it down to one volume. But it's a devotional commentary. It's not an analytical one. It's not an interpretive one. He's basically saying, this is what this passage says, and this is what it means to you, you know, as how you're going to apply this to your life. <clears throat> There's a place for application, but uh, you have to be careful. Uh, then there's the Expositor's Bible Commentary. Um, I haven't really looked into that one, but anything that says Expositor's is going to have to be helpful with interpretation or hermeneutics. Exposition basically means to explain. It comes from the word to expose. Okay, So um, expository preaching is explanation preaching. 
getting into the text and explaining what it's about. Then you have the um, <clears throat> the Tyndale set, Old Testament commentaries and New Testament commentaries. It's You can get the whole set, which takes up like four feet on your bookshelf. <laughs> it's like 750 bucks. <laughs> you can buy individual volumes for individual books, or sometimes they cover two or three books. But these are small paperbacks. Okay. And again, it's not really in-depth. It, it gives you an idea of what the book is all about, but it's, it's more kind of like a summary. Uh, not an in-depth study, but maybe that's what you need. And then the last one by Walton, and I don't know why that's in a different uh, font. Sorry about that. It's called the um, IVP Bible Background Commentary on the New Testament and the Old Testament. Bible background. Again, this gets into the history, the culture, all of that stuff to fill in the gaps to help you understand what's happening in the background so you can get a better idea what the Scripture's talking about. So I put that section in commentaries in there uh, because commentaries are part of the <laughs> Bible study process, but there's a big warning or caution there, you know, be careful because these people are not God, okay? <laughs> what they say in the commentary is really just their opinion. Yeah, and I would add to that. I mean, uh, the Tyndale commentary set that you mentioned is it's a good layperson set, but um, in general, I, I would recommend not buying the entire set uh, because when you get to sets of commentaries, each one is written by different people. Right. And they're very, they'll vary in terms of their quality. Um, and, and so what um, what a lot of us do if we're doing a, like a study on a specific book um, there are actually commentary on commentaries that will tell you which ones are the most detailed commentaries for each one of those books. So I'll, I'll have like, um, or you know, I, I rarely have a complete set of anything, but I'll buy, I'll buy like the best um, commentaries for a given book. Like if I'm studying Romans, you know, then I know there's certain authors who have done a better job than others in terms of you know, covering everything. And um, and what um, what Terry mentioned is right. You, you find that a lot of the more difficult. Translational issues um, are totally just skipped um, by the commentators because they don't want to put themselves on the spot of saying something that's going to be deemed silly. But there are certain, and, and it's few, there are relatively few, but there are certain ones who <coughs> will tackle every issue they see and then they do a good job of laying out what all the different positions are. You might not agree with where they land, um, but uh, but at least they'll, they'll lay it out. And for instance, um, going through um, Ephesians, Harold Honer, as a giant commentary on Ephesians, he used to be a Dallas Theological Seminary. And he tackles just about every single issue that comes up. I don't agree with a lot of what he says. But, you know, so if you're ever doing an in-depth study of a book and you want specific recommendations, you know, talk to myself or talk to Terry, and, um, and I can tell you at least the feedback that I know from some of my fellow um, pastors and, and from materials that I've done. Good. Uh, then there's a section on word studies because words are kind of the basis of meaning. <laughs> so you have to know the words if you're going to understand what Scripture means. Uh, there's the first one there by Carpenter and uh, Comfort, the Holman Treasury of Key Bible Words, published obviously by Holman Publishers. Um, 
you don't really need to study every little word like the ofs and the ands <laughs> of those articles and prepositions. But the key words, the ones that make the difference in the meaning, you know. So this focuses on those key words. Then William Mounts. Mounts' Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. You'll notice there's a lot of overlap here. As I said, you'll find some of these are more helpful to you than others. And so you have things to choose from. And Joseph Thayer, this, this is an old one. It's, when I was in seminary, this is kind of a standard text. Uh, Thayer's Greek-English Lexicon in the New Testament. Um, gives you every word and tells you what it means and the history of the word and all that stuff. Uh, Vincent's Word Studies in the New Testament. And then Vine's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. Vincent is okay, but he kind of based his work on Vine's work. So I would go to, with Vine. <laughs> That's the book I have. Very helpful. Uh, Vine's is based on English. You look up the English word, and it's really King James Version. You look up the word that... You, you see a word in, in a verse, and you think, what does that word mean? So you look it up in Vine's, and he does give you the Greek or the Hebrew. And if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, it's just going to be <laughs> squiggles on the page. <laughs> but then he gives you what that word means, and it means this in this verse, and it means this in this verse, and it means something else in another verse. And he takes the word apart. It, it's verb form, it's noun form, it's adjective form, and he shows you where they're all used and what they mean in the different contexts. It's a very good book. <clears throat> and it's not a big one either. He does a lot. Um, then you have Robert Young's Analytical Concordance. A concordance is a list of words if you want to do a word study of how the scripture uses a particular word, get a concordance. You look up that word and it shows you every place in the Bible where that word is used. Now, it doesn't go into detail. It doesn't do what Vines does and tell you what the word means, but it shows you where it is. And you can go do your own word study from these things. Then you have Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. You're probably familiar with Strong's. They have these, by the way, now for different versions. Uh, Strong's initially was based on the King James. I think they have an edition now for New American Standard. Um, there's one other one I didn't put on here. Um, uh, a concordance by Crudens. I'm not sure how he spelled that name. Crudens. Well, there was a saying in seminary, regarding uh, concordance, concordances. Strong's for the strong, young's for the young, crudens for the crude. <laughs> I don't think many people had crudens. <laughs> didn't make the list either. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> well, again, there are tons of concordances. I like Young's. Um, it's really, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's a huge book. You could hold down your house in a tornado with that book. <laughs> and it's, it's really extensive. Uh, the last page there, topical cross-references. Comparing Scripture with Scripture is one way to help you be sure that your understanding of a particular Scripture is correct. Because 
whatever a verse means, it has to be consistent with what the rest of Scripture means when it talks about that issue. Um, there's a Holman concise topical concordance, um, but it, 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 it's a concordance, but it's not a concordance of words, it's a concordance of topics. Okay. Then there's a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. You may be familiar with that. Yeah, I have one too. I had it. I got it in junior high. I still have it. <laughs> yeah. By the way, well, the point is that, that Thompson did a great job of tracing topics throughout. And the back of that Bible has tons of study helps. Yeah. Um, and I learned earlier this year, I think, that the Thompson who put this together was one of the founding fathers of America. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. He was uh, one of the founding fathers, a preacher, a pastor, and he put together this Bible. And then you have uh, Tory's Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, affectionately known as TSK. It's a dictionary of topics. You can follow a topic through Scripture with that. And then there's one, this was, I, I, I was astounded when I found this book. Applica this is the application of hermeneutics by Bryson called Expository Preaching. And I looked into it. Phenomenal. It's not that big a book. But he does the whole process. He starts from scratch. He shows you how to interpret a passage. He goes through the hermeneutical process to get the meaning of the passage and then shows you how to build, in this case, a sermon, or you could make a Sunday school lesson, how to build on that hermeneutical base. I mean, he does the whole process. It's really great. Uh, if, you, if you're a teacher and you want to know how to go from interpretation to lesson, you know, that's the book you want to get. <clears throat> and then I put in here computer programs. Um, do you have shelf space in your house? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, this um, word search program by Lifeway.com, I have that on my computer. You got all these books on your computer. You can look them up. You can search them. You just, you know, you have a search function, and you just type in what you're looking for, and you can decide where you want to look. You want to look just in commentaries. You want to look in the Bible. You want to look in everything, and you click, and it gives you a whole list of verses where that word or phrase or whatever it is you're looking for is found. I mean, you don't have to flip pages anymore, <laughs> and you don't take up shelf space. Uh, the latest edition, I think they're on 12. They keep improving it. Um, I think I have nine. It works. I don't really... <laughs> I don't need all the tweaks. Um, but they cost 40 bucks. And it comes with 50 books <laughs> installed. You get 50 books for free. And you can add to them from their website, download a book. You know, they, they have really good prices. And every weekend they give away free books. You can download a free book. It's it's really good. So it's put it's published by Lifeway and it's a word search. And then there's a Logos program. I used this years and years ago, uh, but it's another one similar to the word search one where you can have 
<coughs> books on your computer. Logos has um, by far the biggest library. Yeah. They're, they're by far the biggest library. So they, if you're if you're looking to invest in a library of books and kind of build on it, you, you can actually invest in multiple platforms. Um, Logos would probably be one that you want to definitely take a look at. But the um, not the cheapest. Yeah, that's the. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Uh, so that's kind of a, a starting place for your uh, study and practice of hermeneutics. Yeah. Terry, just a, a comment. Uh, when it comes to maps and that sort of thing, uh, you can just go online and um, um, type in that you want um, a, a map of. Um, the Holy Land in the times of um, um, of Saul and David, and you'll get these maps, nice maps that you can just print up, and um, they're quite detailed. Yeah, that's true. I've done that often. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's really nice for Sunday school. Yeah, you don't have to pay for them. No, no. <laughs> it works for me. And they're sizable, you know. <laughs> That's a great thing. Well, I'm gonna. We we still have some time left, so I'm gonna get this PowerPoint going, and we'll get started on that. Um, so hang on a second while I get this going. All right. So hermeneutics is, as it says there, the science and art of biblical interpretation. It's both a science and an art, and we'll get into that as we go here. So this is kind of an overview of what this PowerPoint contains. Um, yeah. Okay. No. There we go. <laughs> We're going to get an introduction to hermeneutics. We've kind of been talking about that already, but we'll get into a little more detail. Uh, we're going to talk about the historical approaches, the way people have interpreted Scripture throughout history, the different uh, methods of interpretation, their strong points, their weak points, what you want to follow, what you want to stay away from. Uh, the principles of interpretation. How do you go about interpreting? What do you have to look at as you interpret? And then the procedure for interpretation, as you apply those tools, you have to have a, a process, a sequence. And then we'll get some practice. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a handout with a verse on it, and after we go through all of this stuff, you'll have a chance to apply that yourself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a test. It's a workshop. Okay. So that's kind of what we're after here. So we have the introduction to hermeneutics. First of all, the definition. Uh, hermeneuo means to, to get out or to interpret, to explain, to clarify. Um, 
It's the study of the methodological principles of interpretation. And methodological means there's a system. You have to do it the right way, or you're going to end up in left feet. So we go into the nature of hermeneutics, what hermeneutics is all about. There are strict rules applied by skill, not mechanics. As I said, it's a science and an art. The science part is there are rules to follow. There's a process, a procedure to follow. But at the same time, you have to know what you're doing. <laughs> That's the art part of it. You can't just, it's not like, well, I was going to say like putting a puzzle together. You just put the pieces together and there's the picture. That's not a good analogy because you still have to be thinking of the picture <laughs> when you're putting the pieces together. So there's some art involved in that as well. Uh, but you have to know what you're doing. So you have to have that insight into Scripture as you study each text. Context, immediate context, a little larger context, a little larger context. You have to study each text. And the more you do this, the greater insights you get. So it, it's hermeneutics, in a sense, is a skill. It's an art. It's a science. And I guess there's some skill involved in that, too. It's something you can learn to do. You have to know the process. You have to practice. It's like anything else. Hermeneutics provides the proper tools for the proper understanding of a text. Again, if you follow the rules, you'll come to a correct understanding of a passage. There's a little caveat there. <laughs> there are some passages of Scripture that are confusing. And even after you apply all the rules of interpretation correctly, you still don't know what that passage means. <laughs> I think that's usually because there are some things going on behind the scenes there that we're not aware of. We can deal with the text. We can apply all these rules of interpretation and come up with a better understanding, but we weren't there when the writer was writing or the people were reading. There have to be some things going on there that we're not aware of that influence our understanding of that text. Um, so in general, it's like Proverbs. All things being equal, this is the way it works. Okay? You apply the rules and you come up with an understanding, a correct understanding. If you break the rules, you're going to come up with a wrong understanding. There are a few exceptions, but uh, generally it works. Whoops. So the objectives of the interpreter, what, what are you trying to do when you interpret a passage? What's the goal? You know, what are you after? You want to arrive at a clear understanding of the meaning of a text. That is the point the writer is making. Too many times, you know, one of the false methods of interpretation is to look at what this verse says and to go by the words. You can't go by the words. You have to analyze what those words are saying individually and as they go together to form ideas. It's the ideas that matter. 
the words get you to the ideas. Um, too many times people go by just the words of a, of a passage and they they like what it says and so they apply it to themselves, but it's off because they're not applying the meaning, they're applying just the words. America is in a lot of trouble these days because people do this with a constitution. And these rules of interpretation apply not just to the Bible, <laughs> to any historical document, okay? But, you know, for example, in the, in the, the uh, Bill of Rights that talks about the right to privacy. In the context in which that was written, you know, that meant no one can barge into your house, the government or the you know, army or, you know, can't barge into your house. You have a right to privacy. What do they mean by that today? They just... Yeah, they justify abortion by that because abortion is a privacy issue between the woman and her doctor. I mean, come on, people. <laughs> They're taking the words, not the meaning. Okay. So you get a wrong interpretation and you get into trouble. Also, you want to close the gaps that lead to misunderstanding. This is the job of the interpreter. If, if you are a teacher, preacher, and you are trying to help people understand the word, this is important. <laughs> you want to get rid of those things that are going to cause confusion. Things like culture. You know, you've got to study the culture. We talked about this already. Because things are happening around the writing of the Bible. And in order to understand what the Bible says, you've got to understand those, that cultural context. Um, well, let's stick with culture a minute. The customs, just an example in the, in the Gospels, Jesus gives the story of the woman who loses a coin. You know, she had ten coins and she lost one, and she's frantic, you know, tearing the house apart, getting, bringing her friends in to help. Why? It's just one coin. Well, the customs of the day. You know, they, they wore those coins in a string around their head, and the number of coins represented social rank. So if you lose a coin, you go down <laughs> in social standing. <laughs> so she was out of panic. Hmm? Dowry, yeah. So, you got to know the customs. Language also. Figurative language, for example. Psalm 91, a lot of psalms talk about this. Psalm 91.4 talks about people taking refuge under God's wings. Does that mean God's a chicken? I mean, that's the analogy. Just as a chicken protects its chicks, you know, under the wings, that's the way God protects his people. But it doesn't mean God's a chicken. <laughs> it's an analogy. It's a figure of speech. You know, people, people do that. They, they argue backwards. For example, the Bible says we're made in God's image. Well, we have a physical body. If we're made in God's image, that must mean that God has a physical body. Really? <laughs> what does the Bible say about the nature of God? God's a spirit, John chapter 4. So you take this, the definite, unequivocal statements as the standard. God is a spirit. Therefore, just because we have a physical body and we are in God's image doesn't mean that God has a body. You have to argue from the standard 
to the specific. You can't go the other way. You can't argue from specific to general. You have to go general to specific. <clears throat> so it's a figure of speech. It's not a literal statement. You have to know history, the who, what, when, where, why, and how. <laughs> the more of those questions you can answer about what's going on behind the scenes of any particular passage of Scripture, the better you will understand that Scripture. Who is writing it? Who is he writing it to? You know, what is he saying? When did he write this? The historical context. Where was he when this was going on? Why did he write it? This is called the occasion, the thing that caused the writer to write. Okay, why did he write this? And then how, how is this going to impact the people? Okay, or how did it impact the people? So those journalistic questions are, are essential to getting a, a clear understanding of what any particular passage means. That's why I gave you this list. <laughs> Because all of these things you can check. <coughs> Come on. There it is. The geography and the topography, we talked a little bit about that already. You know, often in the Bible it talks about going up to Jerusalem or down from Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem's on a mountain. <laughs> Any direction you leave Jerusalem, you're going to be going down. Any direction you approach Jerusalem, you're going to be going up. We usually think of up as north and down as south, but it doesn't apply in this case. You're talking about a mountain. Okay. So knowing that helps you understand what it's all about. Whoops. Don't disappear. There we are. And then practicability or practicality. Uh, applying the meaning to our situation. After you've done all the other stuff <laughs> and you understand what the passage means, then you can you have a better chance of applying that meaning to yourself, to your own situation. <clears throat> um, so that's kind of what the interpreter's job is. All right. If I can kind of give you an analogy, um, there's a man named John Stott who described this as two worlds. Uh, you're going into the world of the Bible, and you're trying to understand what the Bible meant in that world, in that time, in that setting. And then once you understand that, then you can transport to our world and draw out the principles that apply to today. Um, but you can't jump to, to, the, to the today until you understand what it meant then. Uh, so so that's that critical first step that most people skip. They automatically bring it into today without trying to understand what it meant to them then. And then that's really um, what we call kind of bridging the gap between two worlds, bridging two worlds. Mm -hmm. um, that's really what interpretation is all about, is bridging the historical world and then ultimately bringing it to our current environment and trying to figure out, okay, how does this apply to us today? Right, right. And we'll be talking about some of that, you know, as, as we go on. So we're out of time. Any um, comments, observations? Confusions or contusions? I'll just uh, I'll just say one more thing, and then we can we can end it. I mean, hermeneutics. It sounds really technical, um, but really what we're getting at is um, is that everything that we say has meaning, right? I mean, if you write an email, 
if you write a letter, if you text someone, you have very specific meaning behind your words. And often when disagreements come up, it's because there's a misunderstanding of what you meant. That happens with couples, right? Married couples. Uh, most of our fights is because we misunderstood one another. One person said something, another person understood another. So it's really just, um, when we talk about this being as a science, it's, it's often what you do naturally when you're trying to understand someone else. But for some reason, people will take the natural rules of communication and they'll throw it out the window when they're going to the Bible and they want to just make it say whatever they want it to say, rather than thinking through, okay, this author had a very specific purpose in writing this to his audience. And, uh, and we have to apply those same principles that we would if, say, you were to uncover an old letter from your grandmother or grandfather. You wouldn't just read it and say, well, this is what it means to be. No, I mean, you would try to understand, okay, when was this written? Who was this written to? Um, what, was, what was my grandmother or grandfather going through at that time? You're trying to piece together as much evidence as you can to come to a accurate understanding of, of what was written and why it was written. And that's really all we're doing with, with Scripture. It's just applying rules that we apply in everyday communication without even thinking about it. But we have to get technical because when we go to a, a source like the Bible, people can tend to get mystical. And so we've kind of reverse engineered and then thought through, okay, this is what we do naturally without thinking about it in terms of trying to understand um, you know, each other's communication today. And we should just apply those same principles to the Bible. But it's going to be a bigger challenge because we're talking about you know, um, thousands of years ago. We're talking about a different culture. We're talking about their, you know, speaking a different language, um, different political, historical, social circumstance. So there's more work that's involved in terms of going back and trying to understand that. But if you're, able to, if you're willing to just sit down and read through passages over and over again, start making observations based upon a lot of these principles that Terry is mentioning here and what he'll mention in future lessons, you're going to draw, draw out a lot of important insights that's going to allow you to come to an um, interpretation that's faithful to what was intended rather than kind of our own ideas. And I mean, a great example, Philippians 4.13, when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? I mean, that's... That, that is like one of the passages that gets totally ripped out of context by those who want to say that God wants you to do whatever you want to do. But when you look at it in context, that's not what Paul is saying at all. You read the verses that are leading up to it and you realize that Paul is saying, look, I've learned how to deal with a lot. I've learned how to do, deal with very little. Um, in other words, he's saying I can endure whatever circumstance God gives to me. In every circumstance that he puts me through, I can endure it. And so when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, he means I can endure any circumstance that God sovereignly puts into, into my path. Not that God will enable me to do whatever I want. But that's just an example of, of, of looking at the context, making those observations, and coming to a right interpretation. So, just my two cents. All right. So, are we close? Yeah. All right. So, we'll continue next week with the... Uh, PowerPoint. Okay. Um, and between now and then, uh, you can be thinking about these issues. Um, you might uh, start making a list of verses that you find a little bit confusing. Okay. <laughs> we can uh, deal with those as we go along. Okay. Um, we might be able to provide some clarification on those things by applying these principles. Everybody happy?
All right. Uh, let's close in prayer.